0: Welcome to the Saints of San Francisco podcast, where we dive into work, faith, and fulfillment. This is a podcast for the modern Christian professional. I'm your host, Isaac Hall. Hello, Saints. We're back uh, to our series for the month. This is the month of March we're doing. Uh, the mental health series and we have quite a few interesting guests coming on Um, and today I have the pleasure of um, introducing Grace Song and I know guys that this is you know kind of like a work faith and fulfillment podcast Um, so Grace before we start off with the whole mental health series and start talking about that could you do a brief intro of yourself um, it could be like, you know, who you are, how I know you, um, what your role is at your work, and what kind of job you're doing, um, things of that nature, and then we'll get started.
1: Yeah, hi everyone. My name is Grace. I know Isaac through 99 Church in SF. Actually, we probably met at Soda before 99 um but yeah i'm a believer my whole life i'm korean-american since people can't see who i am and uh i'm the youngest of three um i was born and raised in new york and by day i am a product manager in tech and um yeah that's that's pretty much it
0: i like it short and brief but there was there was a lot there
1: I, I thought about this intro for a little bit uh-huh. and I was like uh-huh. "Eh, so much like I don't know maybe it was a little dry but anyways yeah those are the basic all facts.
0: All right so I do have a, a short icebreaker for you Grace. Are you ready? It's kind Let's of like it. half w- would you rather and then like I mean it is it is pretty much would, would you rather <laughs> but I have a pun- bunch of random ones and I think You'll like half of them and the other half, you'll be like, what the heck is he talking about? Um, But let me know when you're ready.
1: Let's do it. All right,
0: are you ready?
1: (laughs) Yep. All
0: right, let's go. Uh, Ski or snowboard? Snowboard. Watch a movie indoors or go out?
1: Oh, is this like during pandemic? no pandemic
0: post pandemic
1: oh going out
0: drink whiskey or wine whiskey pray or worship worship dance mm. or sing sing interesting speak your mind or stay silent
1: speak your mind for sure
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> seafood <laughs> seafood or steak coffee or tea tea date a cute but short guy or ugly but tall and buff
1: (laughs) all right this one's hard can you repeat the question
0: (laughs) date a cute but short guy or ugly but tall and buff
1: Oof. it was short but cute okay got it call him buff
0: <laughs> <laughs> but he's ugly
1: <laughs> vanity fades anyway as long as, he has good char- as long as he has good character
0: oh wow got it got it got it. it it i guess it is easy for an ugly guy to get plastic surgery than for like a, a hey, short guy to anything, get like shin splints
1: who said anything about um plastic surgery
0: actually <laughs> you know
1: what <laughs> You know what I know I know you're dating Christine and I'm sorry, Christine, for punting this back at him, but what about you? Would you date short oh actually no no no, opposite would you date um like shorter than you, but like ugly, or would you date taller but pretty
0: oh, interesting Well, if I had to choose, I would choose the the latter like I don't mind if the woman was taller than I.
1: Uh, yes all right
0: yeah so um you also nothing... don't mind
1: that you also don't mind that she's not that pretty which is great because vanity is only one measure
0: oh but yeah i thought you said uh taller than me but cute
1: oh, did I say- oh yeah yeah. you're right you're right
0: right because i thought you're you're going implying that like yeah, 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 guys yeah. don't yeah so i'm totally okay with girls being taller than me um, that's fine. If they if they want to date a shorter guy, which you know not a lot of women do. Shots fired, don't at me. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Good that okay. was a good one.
0: Yeah. Okay, ready? Cry or break things.
1: Or I cry.
0: Adidas or Nike?
1: Nike.
0: Tech or management <laughs> consulting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> obviously tech <laughs>
0: beach or mountain beach sweet or sour sweet mm. and then last but not least Los Angeles or New York city
1: yeah that's that's unfair <laughs> I mean LA obviously because um, my yeah it's it's where I'm laying my roots down right now.
0: So so you went from New York to San Francisco and then you're gonna lay down your roots in LA. So you're staying here for good, right? Or there for good.
1: Yeah. Um and actually I fun fact, I moved cross country five times.
0: Five times? Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't, I wouldn't
1: re- yeah, I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah, it was because I came out to college in LA.
0: Yeah.
1: That was one from high school. And then I moved Uh back to New York after. Uh And then I moved back to uh, LA to work in animation industry. Uh, I used to help produce cartoons. And then I came back to the East Coast to be a management consultant. And then I moved the last time, I hope, uh, to SF from New York. Wow. I know. That's
0: pretty intense
1: seriously.
0: I mean, but you ping-ponged around like the best cities. Right, I did. Me. Don't at me. I but, did. <laughs> you know, the listeners might just get a, a little bit triggered right now, but I mean, SFLA, New York. I mean.
1: I, I, I was very lucky.
0: Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, sure. how, how, how'd you enjoy the icebreaker?
1: It's good. It's good. You, you were creative. You were creative.
0: Yeah. We're, are you, you're currently... I think for guys out there, that is that like a good way to figure out someone or know a little bit more about someone, like this type of icebreaker. With the uh, icebreaker, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I think it's I think it's fun. You know, it's it's a way to break the ice, especially given, uh, and it's a fun way to get to know someone, right? Because for listeners out there that don't know who I am,
0: yeah, I think the answers say a lot. To be honest, that's my that's oh really my opinion, But what's
1: your what's your interpretation?
0: Uh, I mean, I would probably have to process it a little bit because I did <laughs> throw out a bunch. But I think you know once right. I triangulate your choices and then and then kind of do my own analysis, I think there's going to be a lot revealed uh, that's m- more. So I, I than, look, Oh, I like snowboarding. I, or, yeah.
1: I like I look forward to your insights report at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> Are
0: you gonna put it on your dating profile? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, first I have to I have to see if it resonates.
0: Got it, got it, got it. Well, I'll send you that white paper statement very soon. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want I want pretty charts on it too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> charts and graphs. Oh my god. And I
1: wanna I want a cool name for what you call that for what you call that demographic. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh. High standards. I don't know if Seriously. I can keep up with it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so, um, so transitioning into our actual series. Um, so Grace, I decided to do a mental health series. Um, one, because, you know, due to the pandemic and everything that's happened last year, and I'm not going to go over everything, but a lot has happened, you know, nationwide and within the local community. And I feel like mental Mm -hmm. health was something that wasn't adequately addressed during that period of time. And a lot of people kind of fell through the cracks or they ended up um, realizing how important mental health is. And I think, especially in the Asian American uh, community, talking about mental health is either one taboo as in like people look down upon it and they're like ashamed to talk about it. Um mm-hmm. and two, um, not really taken seriously. And you know, it is the 21st century, and you know, we're second, third, fourth generation Asian Americans, but I feel like it's rarely discussed and, and because of that um opportunity, I should say, um, you know, there's there's a lot of room for us to work with and to grow in that area. Um, and so in light of that, I wanted to do a series on, on mental health. And, and two, uh, it's because both of us um, have personal experiences um, with family members that are affected um, um, with, with yeah. mental illness. So yeah, anything you want to add to that?
1: No, I'm super excited. I think this is going to be a really special episode, if I may, um, because I think we're both going to talk about things we don't typically talk about openly. And I think that's why I'm excited to do it with you. I'm here to partner with you to talk about something that is not talked about. And I completely agree. I think there's a lot of negative stigma when it comes to mental health. And um, part of the reason why I wanted to do this with you was, and to have a casual but productive conversation around this is because I think it's not talked about enough. And I don't think not talking about it should be normalized.
0: Definitely, definitely. Um, Couldn't have said it any better. Uh, Definitely uh, resonates with me, Um, but yeah. So did you wanna open us up and and, and talk about, uh, I know you did a little bit of homework, but um, in terms of- Yeah, how should we do this?
1: How should we, uh, maybe we could talk about like, uh, maybe we just go for it and just say like, yeah, we both grew up with brothers who are um, diagnosed with schizophrenia. And so maybe we can maybe set the stage of what is schizophrenia and like, hmm. you know, how many people are affected by this. Um, I think it's important to kind of like lay down some context of, yeah. Um, so Yeah. Schizophrenia is a, it's a disabling chronic, serious neurodevelopmental disorder that affects the brain and it impairs how people who suffer from this, how they think, feel and behave. And, um, you know, it, it, when I was looking up, like how many people are truly affected by this and a common stat um, across Um, across credible sources like WHO, uh, the National Institute of Mental Health, and um, Schizophrenia Related Disorders Alliance in America. A lot of people say that it's about like 1% of the world's population, um, which is in 2019 numbers, that's like at least 20 million people around the the globe. And... um, you know, according to 2016 US Census Bureau figures, that's 1.1% of the adult population, which is about 2.7 million adults at least in the US alone. Yeah. And, um, yeah, maybe like, I'm curious, Isaac, how did you find out, um, that your brother had schizophrenia?
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so Saints, this is the first time, um, it's a it's like a host slash guest situation, but 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 the first time that, you know, I'll be talking a little bit more about, you know, my end, my side, and kind of my story with all of this. But um, yeah, uh, I don't agree with that stat um, only because I've realized that a lot of schizophrenic cases and a lot of schizophrenic people don't get reported.
1: Oh um, yes, thank ending. you for bringing that up. That is true. I was going to yeah. mention that too.
0: Yeah. So you know, I, I agree with it to a certain degree for at least people who have been registered as uh, schizophrenics who or mm-hmm.
1: who
0: uh, have gone to a clinic or a hospital and they've been uh, classified as uh, having schizophrenia. But you know, you, you know, seeing people in San Francisco too a lot. I just walk on the streets. And and notice a lot of people with symptoms or cases of uh, schizophrenia, um, whether it's like hallucination or talking to people that aren't there um, and just uh, weird tics and things like that. And um, I realized a lot of cases are unheard of. It's just like left in the dark. And and that's one Mm -hmm. thing about um, but, yeah, to answer your question, the first time I realized my brother had schizophrenia was back in 2016, I think. Yeah, no, November of 2016. It was my first semester of law school. Uh, we had Thanksgiving break, and right after Thanksgiving break was uh, my first set of uh, exams in my uh, mm. one year year. And, and so... I thought maybe I should stay up in San Francisco and study for these exams and then go down. But instead, I decided to see family and I thought, hey, what the heck, I could study down in L.A. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went and before I went down, my dad and my mom kept this from me because they didn't want me to be bothered by this information while I was studying my first semester of law school. But they said, "Your brother's unwell <laughs> and, and and I, I wondered what, what does that even mean like he's mm. unwell and he's like sick or or he has right. like a disease or like i don't i don't know what that meant, but i don 't think in their vocabulary as um, you know Koreans who don 't speak English but who haven 't been exposed to mental health and mental illnesses mm-hmm. in general. It was very difficult for them to even communicate what that was. So I was like, all right. He right. said, yeah, I went down and I saw him. I opened the door and I saw him and I was completely shocked. He had shaved his head completely like, like he had no hair cause he shaved it off. Um, and he had lost around like 50 to 60 pounds. And wow. he was like gaunt and not the person that I said goodbye to when I left for school. Um,
1: How old was he at this time?
0: Oh my goodness! This was five years ago. Um, so he was he was my age actually. Now I'm 29, um, and he was 29. Oh wow! Yeah, and it's it's interesting because you know the statistics show that. Um, by the time you get to your late twenties, early thirties, mm-hmm. it's yeah. less likely for you to have schizophrenia. Right. Um, yeah, right. So they say interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, they say three quarters develop the illness between 16 to 25 years of age.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. yeah, that that's wow. But that, that's yeah. a huge shift from like when you said goodbye. Like, what was he like when you said goodbye to him?
0: Um, I don't know. Good weight. Um, it seemed like he had some of his me- mental faculties or all of it then. And I didn't mm-hmm. really notice anything um, weird or hear anything weird when I lived with him or anything out of the ordinary. Um, mm. And then I came at that happened, And then I went into his room because my dad was like, you should go into his room and see what's going on. And he literally had drawn lines with a pencil, um, like everywhere. There wasn't a space on his wall, an inch on his wall where there wasn't a drawings uh, with a pencil. Um, and wow. eventually I, I found out that, you know, um, you know, sch- schizophrenics are, are paranoid and mm-hmm. they go on Reddit, they go on these forums and the internet can be a, a terrible thing. A computer can be a terrible thing for schizophrenics because they go on and they think that they, they, read all this information on forums and sites and think it applies to them and then mm. they start experiencing these phenomenons or they think they are um, right and, and and so like gang stalking was a big thing for my brother um, which is like the government hiring certain people or there's like splinter cells that come to ruin your life and they're everywhere and they want to make sure that you disappear off the face of the earth or give you the hardest time possible and so he thought there was you know energy or like you know um, like radiation coming from behind the walls and there were people uh, in the ceiling above us on the roof and you know people speaking to him in his head and they're reaching out to him somehow because they had like a chip implanted in his mind and all these crazy stories and i think when i first entered his room i saw him i was shocked at how much weight he has lost and he just didn't look like a normal person like he was gaunt like his gaze was completely off um and i went into his room and i saw all of that too as well and i just I went to my room and I closed the door and I just cried. I just broke down because it was such a shocking thing for me to see and and experience. And, um, you know, I don't wish that on anyone, on anyone to see their older or younger sibling um, experience and go through that and for you to witness that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's like, you know, the high level version for, for me, but... I'm wondering what that moment was for you, for you, Grace.
1: Whew. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm glad that you brought it up that you don't agree with that statistic because I was actually surprised at how small that was in terms of how much it affects, like the like the affected percentages of the population. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think it is underreported. But I also forgot to mention that um, there is no real cure for this for folks who don't know. Um, But there is effective treatment, um, which we're going to get into later in the uh, in this podcast. But for me, um, so I I, when I introduced myself, um, I said I was the youngest of three. And I mentioned that because for me, um, the the backdrop in our family is that um, my brother is nine years older, and my sister is 11 years older. So I kind of grew up as, like, the only child almost, and um, so with that nine-year difference, so by the time I was, like, nine, because he was 18 at the time, he was graduating high school, or he was supposed to be, and so at that time, I was in upstate New York, and when I was 10, we moved down to Long Island, but before then, we, um, you know, at the time, my brother, And a small group of his friends decided to move to Atlanta after high school. And I don't think my mom, I found out later when, I don't know if it's because like my mom is like older and she doesn't remember. But I was the only one that was with my mom when we dropped off my brother and his friends in Atlanta. And um, I thought my parents knew that he was dropping out of high school (laughs) but I don't think they knew the implication of that I don't know there was there's a little bit of confusion on the story when I went back and asked my mom about that time but basically like he was in Atlanta and then you know I'm a little kid I'm stupid and naive at that time still and he was really mean to me because like you know he's an older brother it's like that like (laughs) classic older brother younger sister interaction and I was happy that he left the house i was like finally i get to do my own thing i don't have to worry about him he's not gonna annoy me and like be a jerk and all these things and then all of a sudden he came back home when we moved to long island and i remember my mom telling me hey by the way his name is paul and he was like hey paul's coming back something happened i he collapsed on his way to work and he's in the hospital and so because of that incident, he came back home um, and we wanted to make sure he was okay. But when he came back home, he uh, something was different about him. You know, in that same vein, like in that same shock that you've experienced, like for me, like I, I was like, something is seriously wrong. And he was crying a lot. He's crying like every day. And if you know my brother, like beforehand, he's really strong. He was really athletic he was really popular in school he has a very strong personality like you don't mess with him <laughs> mm. you know like he could stand up to anyone and i mean, he had this swag and he was really popular um he didn't have good grades but he had his sports and he had like his swag yeah. and for him to come home and cry was a big deal to me because mm. that's already out of character yeah. And he was crying as if, like, the world was ending or something was, like, deeply disturbing him. And it wasn't like he broke up with a girlfriend. It wasn't like, you know, he was going through some, like, normal life ebb and flow challenge. It was like something deeper was happening that yeah. it even scared off my parents. And, you know, my parents, they were doing backbreaking work at the time. We had, like, you know, like any other immigrant family, they uh, owned a dry cleaning business, a couple, yeah. and they were working from 7am to 7pm. So they didn't have time to deal with him. Yeah, And I was so scared of like what was going on with him. Cause I didn't know how to deal with it. Cause I was only 10. I was yeah. in fifth grade that I was like, I don't know. Amma, Appa, you guys do something about this. And for podcast listeners, Amma, means means um, mom or dad in Korean. And, um, so basically one day my brother, he was desperate. So he came to my dad and my dad's store is walking distance to where we were living. And then, um, you know, as I mentioned, I, I grew up as a believer. Um, and you know, my parents are strong believers. They're always serving in church. I almost joke as if I grew up as a pastor's kid because they were always at church, <laughs> you know? and I was always the first and last one to leave with the other pastor's kids. So, um, and my dad was praying, but he knew something was wrong. And so he called in, he called my youth pastor at the time. And he's like, hey, can you come by? Um, and he has a background in counseling. And he's yeah. like, can you just talk to my son? You know, something's going on. And by the way, this is my birthday <laughs> when this all went down. And, uh, you know, I think for me, my birthday wish at the time was just like, uh, I hope he just feels better because I'm tired mm-hmm. of him feeling this way and what happened was like my youth pastor came and they prayed for a while like he was praying over him I could hear my brother shrieking and like crying and saying like help me you know like it it was really hard for like Mm -hmm. I started crying because like I didn't know what to do when I was hearing that and long story short my my youth pastor knew because he's he's um certified in this area like he can tell something's not right Mm -hmm. and so he asked my brother hey do you want to go and get some coffee and instead of going to get coffee they ended up going to the hospital and that's when we found out that you know he that's when he was formally diagnosed as schizophrenia and um and he was actually initially diagnosed with like paranoia too because he was paranoid and um that that event has changed my life forever since then it changed it changed our whole family's life
0: yeah
1: yeah dang we're going we're going deep and personal <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's that's how it went down for me
0: yeah yeah i think we can just go move forward and just talking talk about um you know, how it impacted us. I mean, you're way younger than I was when all of this started. Yeah. I'm sure both of our brothers are, are different in terms of like, you know, not yeah. just their, you know, um, I guess I should say symptoms of schizophrenia, but they're just different people. Um, yeah. And, you know, our families are both, you know, we come, both come Korean American backgrounds, but it was yeah, probably totally. slightly different. And, you know, how we both internalized it and, and worked with mm-hmm. it, um, and how it manifested in our own lives could be different. And I'm sure there's a whole host of people out there beyond our listeners um, yeah. that are going through this and they definitely feel alone. So maybe you could mm-hmm. just talk about you know, how it impacted us, how we dealt with Mm -hmm. it and and just growing up with that, yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe we can kind of like pepper. Bounce off, yeah. Yeah, I like it. What what comes to mind when you think about like how it impacted you?
0: (sighs) I don't know, I mean, Korean American family, uh, not super well off, younger brother, like the youngest in the family, so no one took me seriously. No Are you the oldest? What I have to say, I'm the youngest.
1: Oh, you're I'm the, the youngest, brother. got it.
0: Yeah, so, so and is it just know, two of you? Yeah, mm. um, so like my parents always treated me like a baby, never took me seriously, and you know, the whole respect thing in Korean culture is big. So, right, my right. brother, ever since a young age, we're five years apart, so not as much as you know, you and your brother at nine, but mm-hmm. uh, nine years, but yeah, he. He was a really good kid. I think he, but he was, he was very intelligent, um, athletic, uh, smarter than I was by a lot. He always used to make fun of me wow. because I sucked at math. <laughs> um, and he's like, dude, what? you, don't get you suck at math.
1: You're Asian. No, I'm kidding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hence going into law. But yeah, for, for my brother, I mean, he was similar to your brother, but then he wasn't a popular kid in school. I think he Mm -hmm. was extremely intelligent, so it was very, he had no patience, and I think he was a a narcissist, too, at a certain level, and I think that narcissism came from the fact that he was deeply insecure, insecure in the sense that, like, he had a very soft heart, and I think Mm -hmm. all he wanted from life was to be understood and to be loved. I think those were the two big things, and I think, like, he took rejection very, very hard. Um, so he would always like joke with me and be like, yo, Isaac, like, you're so good at getting girls and, you know, girls <laughs> love you and like people love you. and like You're so good at like using that tongue of yours. You have a silver tongue and you're, you're like great with people. I wish I had that, you know, as like a passing by kind of comment. And he would say that often, but you know, I definitely think he was extremely intelligent. And with that, I don't know if it's like a genetic predisposition, but um, you know, intelligent people are antisocial, not because they're, they're right. bad people, but they just right, can't right. handle normal people, if that makes sense. And like, mm. things would bother him at multiple levels. And since he had, strong, had such a strong personality, it was kind of like his way or the highway. Um, so even when he had schizophrenia and he would talk with me, he was very intelligent, but also very manipulative. So, you know, um, Oh yes. Yeah. I'm sure you could talk more about that, but it was like every single bad coincidence occurred with me, you know, like Korean American family, mental health and illness was taboo. Mm -hmm. They were first generation Korean American. So didn't know how to speak English. So communication at a Korean or, or English level was very difficult with me and my parents and my brother and my Mm. parents. Um, But I think this is a thing with like elderly kids, like older kids, and especially Mm -hmm. with my brother's personality, because he was kind of like, he didn't really care about anyone else but him. He was like very self-centered, but that's how Mm. I felt growing up. So their Mm -hmm. communication, there wasn't any, it was non-existent. They would end up fighting with each other every single time. And they wouldn't listen to me because I'm the younger son. The youngest, yeah. Keep out of it. And also my brother was extremely intelligent. So even if he had schizophrenia, he would find ways to be able to manipulate, you know, people or to, you know, like sound normal when the paramedics or the cops would come by, or, you know, uh, when a social worker would come by, he would find a way to sound normal to kind of make it seem like-
1: Oh my God, yeah,
0: public, yeah. Right. um and 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 you know not being well off you know my parents didn't have the money to shell out for him to like go Get to therapy kind of like, yeah. yeah wellness center or anything like exactly. that so he definitely had obamacare um and things of that nature but at the same time like american laws like constitutional laws as well as hipaa and all you know a right, plethora right. of things that were probably not going to get into in this like short 45 minute yeah, session exactly. But it's very hard unless you get custodianship um through courts um mm-hmm. for him to be you know forced into anything or for us to administer any kind of help if he didn't want it because he's legally an adult i think you mean
1: conservatorship right
0: yeah sorry did i say c- custodianship yeah conservatorship. Yeah. <laughs> that's the right word um and i think Due to that, he understood the laws very well as well. So he he knows that if he isn't an immediate threat to himself or to others, Mm -hmm. and there were no evidence of violence that he's committed to anyone, and as long as he didn't say, I want to kill myself or thinking of suicide or anything of that nature, it's very hard legally um, Mm -hmm. to get him into a situation where we could force help for him. And obviously there's something called the 5150. Um, and we could get into that as well, but all this to say, what's
1: a, the what's 5150
0: again? I mean, high level for the folks who don't know.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Um, it, 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 it's an opportunity if, if he acts out of line and, and he does in that specific moment um, is a harm to himself or harm to others. And he's done things to show that then pretty much we can call the cops um, to have people come over and take him away against his will and put him inside of a clinic or a facility. And, and the bad thing about that is one, these clinics and facilities don't really treat um, uh, mental right. health patients very well. And two, it only lasts for, you know, don't quote me on this one, but anywhere from like two weeks up until they deem him, to be okay and not a threat to himself or to others so mm-hmm. they might have not even gone to the root cause of the issue or administered any you know kind of substantive uh, solution or medication for him but as long as he's in that facility and he seems okay there's not enough rooms there for them to hold him indefinitely and get him the, the right type of uh, treatment that he needs so he just gets released and you know once he gets mm-hmm. released after like 10 to 14 days, then what happens? He just comes back home. And there's, you know, a chance for retaliation because he feels like he's been not only abused by the system, but he loses a lot of trust in the parents who made the call to put him in that kind of position and situation. So now you know my parents are worried kind of for their own safety and all, you know, any type of trust that remained uh, within the family, it disappears because he thinks that my parents turn their backs on him. Um, but I mean, essentially, it's what a 5150 is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was a traumatic experience for my parents, too, when they first had to make the, make the call because he was uh, blow torching himself. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and um, yeah. And then my parents called the cops and they came through with uh, paramedics and a social worker um with the police officers uh, they had to kind of coax him out of his room and the entire time he told my parents apparently that he would kill them like i can't believe you betrayed me you guys betrayed right. me in korean right. and said the next time i see you guys i will sever yeah. sever your heads like like yeah. extreme language where extreme
1: language yeah
0: it's very tough on my parents to even make that call but to to hear that coming from it's their heartbreaking son. yeah it's very heartbreaking yeah. and they're yeah. also scared so there's a lot of mixed emotions and feelings yeah. and a lot of hurt and pain on so many different levels and um I, I personally wasn't there to experience that but even just hearing them talk to me about that whole situation over the phone and them still worrying about how he's being treated uh, at the at the clinic um you know that that affects me in turn it's just so many different things so
1: much it's so much stuff yeah it's
0: so it's so much so on much so stuff, many different levels yeah. but yeah i mean i had to go on, and that, on but yeah.
1: yeah how did that affect you though as a person
0: at the at the time
1: yeah or even or, now like how does that how does that like yeah what's the impact of all that on you
0: one i think i mean we'll start off with with the bad news is just like yeah i think jadedness mm. um, one just initially questioning god and why he would allow this to happen to people schizophrenia in, as a whole and then how it breaks apart the nuclear family in ways mm. that no one can possibly imagine you know it's yeah. one thing to like lose money and it's one mm-hmm. thing for, I don't wish this on anyone, but cancer, to be honest, it's yeah. a terrible, terrible thing. But I personally don't think it's as complex as schizophrenia in the way. Or disabling
1: that, or, yeah, I I totally hear what you're saying.
0: Right, right. And, and so I, it just. Which, by the way, doesn't me
1: mean we're diminishing cancer. Downplaying at all. cancer. Yeah, yeah it's a we're terrible not. thing. And it
0: affects families in in terrible ways. But I think schizophrenia is just different um, in in ways where it's tough to talk about and it's very complex how it It affects people. But I think mentally and emotionally, you know, I've kind of become scarred and uh, Mm. it's just... Taken out a piece of me that I can't even put into words, and I think even growing up too, my my dad was never around because he was working six days a week, yeah. and then on Sundays he would go to church, do the same things. Yeah, same thing. Did.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So like emotional conversations, proper communication, learning how to express ourselves and our feelings, and to find closure was never a thing for me, uh, or for my brother, and I just think mm. it hit him a little bit harder. Um, And he's uh, also, I think, a little bit more sensitive um, than than I am emotionally. Um, Uh And so it's really tough to put it into words. But I think that, like, a part of me is lost, like, permanently. Uh Like, it's missing. And I don't even know what to even call that or what it was. But I am not Uh a whole person uh, through that experience. And I think there is trauma as well Uh that I haven't tapped into and talked about with the therapist. Um, so maybe maybe I should figure that out for myself. But I think, too, um, the good news is, like, I know gratitude. I think I know what wow. gratitude is because yeah. just from coming and experiencing this, even to this day and, and forever, I'll experience it and having to manage all the different layers and situations that's going on within my family and with my brother Mm -hmm. and you know how lonely i felt and i still feel with this and it's good to like have you on board as well and to kind of bounce off ideas and thoughts you know back and forth but gratitude in the sense of like me being mentally sound
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and being able to live my life and do what Mm -hmm. i want to is already mm-hmm. something that's like brings me so much joy and so much gratitude that I have to god um, mm. and, and and it sets my standards not lower but I am so happy to just live my life and not having mm. a debilitating disease like schizophrenia and and i'm so happy to have parents um, that i've been able to function i wouldn't say thrive they're not thriving but function through the withering effects that schizophrenia you know their son having schizophrenia had had on them and so i just know how difficult it can be on a day to day emotionally mentally physically financially spiritually of Um, having someone in the family with schizophrenia that every day that goes by where there isn't an explosive issue or Mm -hmm. a threat to his life or my parents life Mm -hmm. you know is a, a perfect day for me if that makes sense so yeah yeah just just gratitude of like hey I might not be a millionaire I might have I might not have you know as many followers as I would like on Instagram, or you know I might not have as much social clout with my friends or you know be able to bench three plates or make a lot of money or whatever it is, but it none of that really matters in the face of like what i 've experienced and just gone through and I, I think there 's so many things to be grateful in life that people don 't realize and just take granted for um, so I think that's like one good thing that's come out of it, but you know, enough, enough about me and, and my <laughs> stories. And, and you know, I feel like I've been talking a lot, but for you, Grace, could you kind of like yeah. give your two cents as well and what you've learned?
1: Yeah, well, first I, I, I know how hard it is to share something so personal and vulnerable for us on, on like a stage like this, even if it's like two people that are listening to this, it's like a big deal. Um, And so I just want to say thank you so much for sharing and thanks for like having the courage and the bravery to just talk about the hard things and and to be honest about it. Right. Like we're here to humanize like what's happened to us. And um, yeah, you know, I think some of the things I wanted to share was that, you know, one of the things that's common with both schizophrenia and bipolar disorder is that um, People can suffer from a thing called, I hope I don't butcher it. It's really hard to pronounce and say, but anisognosia, which means that, like, the people (laughs) that suffer from their disorder, like, don't know that they have an illness. They don't know that, like, they're, that something's not right within. And because, uh, and the stat here is, like, about 50% who suffer from schizophrenia suffer from this. And, and, and it's a lack of insight into what's going on with them. And when you don't have that insight and you think you're okay, then it's, it's problematic because you're thinking that people are trying to force feed you medicine, to force treatment on you, and you're, you're, uh, it, it's so easy to relapse when you're going through this. And I want to share this because my brother suffers from that. Uh, He doesn't think anything is wrong with him. And I am heartbroken over his condition because um, that is hard. You know, like I can't imagine what it's like in his shoes when I try to put myself in his shoes of like, you don't think anything's wrong with you, but everyone in your nuclear family that is supposed to love you and trust you um it it, like thinks you need help like you feel like you're one way but everyone else doesn't agree Mm. and 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 like you know it it just perpetuates this like really toxic cycle of interactions and um for for us you know like you found out in 2016 this happened to me in 95 and in the 90s and mental health is not where it is today where it was like my brother has been living with this for 20 years now. And, and our family has been going through this for 20 years. And I think why it's so important for me to share my story is because where I started is not where I still am today. Hmm. And where I started in, when I was growing up with this from fifth grade to now, it, like I'm deep in my adulthood right now, adulting. And um, when I grew up with it, my, parent, my It was a dirty little secret for us. I grew up with a lot of shame. I couldn't talk about it. And even if I could talk about it with like really close friends from church, like there that, that was like the only place I felt safe enough to talk about because mm. that was like the only environment where I felt like, you know what, maybe God is there. So he'll protect me if I share this. Yeah. And even they would cry and I would be numb at that point. And I wouldn't be crying. So I didn't want, and I felt worse. <laughs> you know, like when someone else is crying over your situation and you're like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be crying. And <laughs> I, 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 but and it's not because I didn't want to cry, it's that I had no more tears to cry anymore at that moment. And it, I grew up with a lot of shame and I grew up hating my parents because I felt like they condemned me to this extent. not being able to talk about it not being able to like be open about my life not feeling like i had the permission to ask for help like Mm -hmm. i had to carry on as if everything was normal and i it wasn't until after i became financially independent in college that i learned that my parents were just surviving you know to work from monday to saturday 7 a.m to 7 p.m to come home to like the youngest child that needed to um that needed help but like i i was honestly my own parent since 10. ever since that event happened all the attention went to my brother Mm. and any milestones or even if i got straight a's or even if i got first chair playing the violin like all my accomplishments didn't matter because my mom didn't want my brother to feel less of a person than he already did Mm. because he was already getting so much hate from my parents yeah But, uh, and I feel bad for my mom and my dad because, you know, at one point they had to choose between me or my brother because an event happened, um, and, and my brother was, um, he was abusive towards me in high school because he would take his anger out on me. And it came to a point where I got so angry at the situation that, um, someone at school had almost had to call in um, Child Protective Services. And so they gave my mom an ultimatum. And I remember that day so clearly where my mom went home, and she cried for literally a straight 24 hours. I'll never forget that day, because I even started crying and said, Mom, it's okay, I'll live with this, you know, (laughs) like, just stop. (laughs) Um, But she knew that my brother had to leave because he wasn't taking his medication. He wasn't following the rules. He wasn't um, agreeing to like, he, he just wasn't playing along to what he needed to do. And there wasn't a lot of rules. It was just take our medicine and like be nice to me basically. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, basically like what happened was my, my parents had to say no to him of living with us, and he was out in the streets. And I talk about this because it is real. People that are homeless are suffering from some kind of mental illness usually, and mm-hmm. my brother was one of them. And it was hard for us as a family to turn him away, but we had to do that for him to like take it more seriously that he needs help, and that he was not like healthy to be around and I lived out the remaining of my high school years like in bitterness and it was it was heartbreaking for me because he would come home every night and try to come back into the house he would beg to come in my dad he's like a you know he's my my parents are very traditional yet they're liberal um but my even my dad cried you know, like it was really rough times. for It, it broke us all apart. Like mm. I identify with what you say about the nuclear family being broken apart. And my brother has been in and out of hospitals. He's been in and out of the streets. He's been in and out of trouble with the law. I've had to go and clear out his records so many times on my own without a lawyer because we couldn't afford one. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. So for me to even consider counseling like the cost of counseling is so high. Yeah. And also I got tired because it's dependent on like your compatibility with that counselor, right? Do you believe in the same things? Do you have the same values? Do you guys align in styles? And, um, and so, yeah, that was in a nutshell, really hard uh, growing up with it. But, you know, years later, once my brother found a cadence of medication that worked for him, and when I went to college, actually, my, my parents found him and brought him back home. And I, I really feel my parents, honestly, I think the thing that will always stay with me is like my parents' unconditional love for him. Like they will, he can treat them however they want, but they will always take him back. And it just reminds me of how God is with us. You know, like no matter what, like he will always receive us again and he will always love us, that unconditional love. And that broke me in adulthood. When I saw how much they loved him, no matter how mean or how cruel he was to them, he still, they still go to him. They still want to make sure he's okay. They still will visit him in the hospital every day. They still will like put up with his ridiculousness. And, but once we found a medication that worked and stuck with him and it took years to get him on it, he was able to live independently with effective treatment. We were able to find housing for him. We were able to find a doctor uh, and like he stayed on his meds. He was, and, and it felt like I got to know my brother again, like, cause I, I never knew him without the sickness, to be honest. Um, but I feel like he became kind again. And in fact, in college, he called me and apologized for all the times. And, and this was when he was still like in and out of meds. But for him to remember to call me and say, Grace, I'm so sorry. You know, like that, that was enough for me to like, to to just be okay with what happened or to to accept that like, this is how it is. Like, I don't hate you for it anymore. Um,
0: that's so good
1: and like yeah it, it took me time but you know now like the reason why I'm back in LA is because I'm the last one to link back up my parents my sister and my brother are here and I was the last one to join from San Francisco and that's why LA will always be home um, in the sense of like you know, we all support each other now. We all um, were like, we went through so much healing together. And I think my parents also softened up in retirement. <laughs> they're not like in survival mode and just trying to support like, and for the first time, they're telling us that they're proud of us, like proud of me and my sister for our um, taking care of ourselves and you know not having to need them for things. Like they feel bad. They feel like they've fallen short as parents. But mm. um we all like, yeah, I if you told me in high school when I was going through all this mess that years later that we would be a family again, I wouldn't believe you. And and that's what I wanted to like put out there. That yeah, we went through a lot of pain cycles. But there was re- there was redemption in the end and there is restore restoration is still possible it's not like endless like despair
0: yeah well thank you so much for your story grace i think you did so much of a better job explaining kind of the situation and what you went through than 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 me for sure i mean this is the first time I've even brought this up to anyone to this level. So I. That's
1: I, what I'm saying. That's huge.
0: Oh, man. Yeah. So I was all over the place. But I think that redemption piece is something that we're missing. And, and you know, I, I am an optimistic guy, but I just don't know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. But I'm so glad you were able to find that moment. So I'm curious when your brother ended up taking the meds and he he was getting better i mean he he apologized and and I'm sure that he felt remorse for everything that's happened. I mean that's not really the point. The point is to kind of come to terms with your emotions and what you had to go through and mm, apologizing mm-hmm. on behalf of that, but beyond that, did he ever fully realize or realize at all even for a second that like he did have an issue i mean he you know obviously. You know, so, is a thing, but like, yeah, in general, it's tough for them to admit they know something's wrong, but they can't like connect mm-hmm.
1: it
0: to the specific problem or yeah. issue. Yeah. So, uh,
1: yeah. He still suffers from it. So, uh, unfortunately, he had up to three years where he was independent, and uh, we had an unfortunate event where he misheard the doctor he was seeing and thought the office was shutting down. In fact, when the doctor was actually switching office locations and wasn't shutting down. So it forced my brother to find another doctor who was not a good doctor and he relapsed. And that was the biggest lesson for me and my sister where we were heartbroken. He got evicted from his housing that took us years to set up. And um and to this day, he doesn't like the medication because it forces you to, it puts him down. Like he sleeps a lot he doesn't like the way it makes him feel, it's drowsy. Like he just, I think that's the other aspect of mental health that is hard, Um, finding the right treatment that works. And that like, and to answer your question, like, does he know? No, because like the potential for relapse is there. And when it does happen, it's, it's tragic. And we we're going, we're in the middle of that right now in the sense of like, I mean, we're at the other end of it, but he still has um, challenges of relapsing. And he wants a quote unquote, Uh, but he's like, yeah, I want to go on a medicine vacation. (laughs) And we're like, yeah, we get it. But it's just, this is just not sustainable and he just doesn't, he just doesn't get it because he he suffers from anosognosia.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's like also a thing too of like all of your hard work and everything you've done to get to where you need to. Um, it can just crumble. It's like a house of cards.
1: And yeah, it's very fragile. <laughs>
0: all yeah and it's so fragile and there's no safety net for the most part Mm -hmm. and anisognosia i call it asognosia, but anasognosia is it's so tough it's so tough um especially combined with how the law works in the us and they think they're normal and they're smart um and, and kind of know how to navigate and maneuver through that um but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that he did relapse and um, yeah, it could honestly just, you know, the work that was put in, the sweat, blood and tears. Um, but and we have like, that though. Yeah.
1: You know, like it was possible, right? Before we couldn't even imagine that that was possible. We thought he would always need my parents as his crutch, his safety net. And, you know, my parents are 76. Seventy-seven, pushing eighty. My my sister and I know that like they're not going to be around forever, and um, I I love my parents dearly, and I feel bad for them that they are still dealing with, and and uh, you know the son in Korean culture is is important. It's it's like the king, you know. It's the legacy. It's the heritage, and um, for them it it was hard that their only son got you know, suffered from this. And, you know, it's interesting, because when I was researching stats, like, it's interesting, because 40 to 51% of people that have schizophrenia don't get treatment. You know, they're left untreated. And, um, and it costs the government like 32.5 to $62 billion annually for treatment. And like, just this just the system in general maybe it's just not the government but just in general treatment is so high because it's so high touch for this type of mental condition and um, when when i read that i was like yeah that makes sense that's in line with my experience they don't want treatment they don't think they need it they think especially if they're paranoid they think we're out to get them and 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 i'm glad you talked about the hipaa and the 5150 because a lot of the times when they need help, the family is blocked
0: yeah. from,
1: from helping out a loved one, and not only that, if you don't have the money, time and resources to invest in it, the system doesn't favor you. Not the really. system works against the peop- work actually works against people that don't have the income and the resources to fight it. And, and I've been through it, and, and it's heartbreaking. Um, but once you learn how to navigate the system, it's, it's, it's still hard, but, uh, but it takes a lot of investment from family members to figure it out. And it's frustrating. And even when they are in this care, like, they're not treated well. You know, it's, it's like, who wants to check themselves into this type of place? I don't blame my brother at all for not wanting to go back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I feel like we could do you know yeah, three four episodes on this and, uh, yeah.
1: Well, let's um, let's wrap it up on a high note. How, like if you could, if you could go back and tell yourself, uh, you know something like to help yourself get through it. Like what? Like what? What would be some things that you would tell your younger self?
0: Um, I think when my first had the conversation with you, Grace, a good thing to know. You know, in in a Christian aspect, was um, to pray to God that, you know, it, you know, when he goes to heaven, um, he will be fully realized in the potential he was made to be. Mm. And I think that, you, you know, so if good. I told myself that back then, it might have helped. Who knows? Because you're telling yeah. your past self, and you right, right,
1: right, right, right you don't have everything
0: yeah yeah so um I I don't know how much that would have helped but if I held that dearly to my heart I think that would have helped and two I think just letting go of control um I think that Mm. for me personally I want to be in control control of my emotions um being able to do things for my brother and um have an x outcome that makes his life better or that you know, we could get treatment for him. And you know, when you deal with families uh with someone that has schizophrenia, just because you put an X amount of work or X amount of time mm-hmm. and X amount of heartache doesn't mean you'll get anything back in return. But you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with letting go and realizing there's a lot of things that's outside of your influence that you necessarily Mm -hmm. weren't supposed to have influence over, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes I felt like I was, you know, trying to run through a brick wall. And at the end of the day, you're you're just hurting yourself. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, put in the work, do what you need to do, be there for your family, but don't Mm -hmm. take it so hard when you don't feel like things are going the way that they should for the amount of effort that you put in. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that would have... Uh, saved me a lot of heartache and I think number three just loving you know the person in your family that has schizophrenia and loving your parents oh. um, and I think the you know, unconditional love part is so true especially in current yeah. families with older sons um you know with the with the uh, cultural phenomenons that you've mentioned about that the, right. the older son being the king and stuff and yeah they want to rear them to be you know the best versions of themselves and never to leave the nest if, yeah you know they needed that extra time to spread their wings pros and cons with that but that's right yeah. <laughs> um but i, I think it's I just, beautiful yeah i just yeah. I, I felt it when you mentioned how you said your parents gave him unconditional love and he kind oh, of yeah. saw christ's love through that and 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 it kind of totally changed your perspective on on nuclear family relationships and on Parental love to their kids, and so I really respect that about my parents. No matter how flawed or wrong I think that is, to a certain degree, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah. There's nothing else to say but gratitude for them for holding on as long as possible. Um, and and yeah, how about for yourself?
1: Yeah, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the sermon that I heard while we were both attending soda and I forgot who gave the sermon, but they told this quick little story of how they were in Sunday school and there's this problematic kid and they wanted to, they needed to discipline him because he showed up late or something happened and they took him aside and they uh, reprimanded him. And he, he obviously started crying and just started feeling really upset about it. But what I loved about what he um, shared is that, you know, even though he he told him, it's like, even though you messed up, I still love you. Mm. And I wish someone said that to us when we were growing up, you know, like I wish someone said that to me that like, hey, even though this is all going on in your life, like you're going to be okay. Like it it doesn't have anything to do with your self-worth and who you are it doesn't take anything away from you that you are good and I I wish I don't think I would have had the capacity to to be honest I think the way my life played out was destined to play out that way Um, I firmly believe it in terms of my testimony uh, with God but you know like I wish I believed more that I uh, God's truths of that Mm -hmm. like we are God's masterpiece and that he chose us before he even created the world you know like and for me, I know that's true yeah. because, you know, when I, people always ask me like, how did you know God? And I don't have this, you know, conventional story of like, oh yeah, I went to a retreat or, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> like I just had this, you know, experience, out of body experience. Um, but for me, I couldn't explain it to you, but I just knew when I came out of the womb that God was mm. there. And I I learned because I had to go through a lot of healing process with all of this trauma that I experienced that the one part that God protected in me was, was that truth. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, like uh, shout out to pastor Krista, but you know, when I started my inner healing journey with her and we were like, I had my first inner healing session with her. She asked me to reflect back on a, mem- um, you know, on, on a memory. And usually you go to the deepest, darkest memories first. But I started off at the mountaintop and I started off remembering, and I didn't even know I had this memory, but like God planted a memory in me that like I'm this girl running around in pigtails and in these purple overalls. I have the picture of myself with that, but I'm just carefree, happy and pure and wholesome, like two years old. And, um, and I started at the mountaintop and, and, and that helped me realize that like, there's this part of me that was still protected, that God protected, even with the pain, even before he knew the world would have its effect on me that like, I, I think if I didn't have that protection, I don't think I would have believed today that God is real. I wouldn't have that conviction. And, um, and for me, I I've learned that, uh. You know, I don't know if you saw that um, documentary, Leaving Neverland. It's, a, it's kind of a controversial documentary because it's about Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, but the thing that really struck me about that documentary was that these two guys that came forward and talked about their experiences with their trauma with Michael Jackson, um, they actually went to trial and denied it. And that's why they're getting so much backlash, because they're coming forward in a documentary after the fact and admitting that Michael Jackson did do all these things and he already died. Uh, but one of the things that really struck me is that he, Wade Robson, he said, I wish I was ready to talk about this during that trial. I
0: mm-hmm.
1: was so in love with Michael Jackson that like, I just wanted to help him. But I wasn't ready to talk about my trauma. It took him years to unpack it. And mm-hmm. I identify with that because I shut down with my brother. like, Just similar to you, I, I became desensitized. I became... I just intellectualized my emotions, I, I did all the things. But now I, I feel like I'm ready for my heart to take the stage and to tell mm-hmm. my head and my mind and my brain to like take a back seat and let my heart express. And, that's and right. I think that's, that's the whole motto of like beauty from ashes, right? Of finding the beauty in my pain. And I'm learning that as I empower myself to tell my story that there is a lot of beauty in my pain. And that, mm. and, and that has made me into the person that I am today, that I don't think I would be as empathetic. I don't think I would be as understanding. I don't think I would be as perceptive. I don't think I would be able to care as much as I do today if I mm. didn't go through all that. And um, it was really expensive, but I think I've learned to be kind to myself and, mm. and to not put my emotions on a timeline, to know that everything has That's its so own good. season, yeah. to know that everything you know, will reveal itself in its time. And like that's that helped me surrender to God more and surrender my life and faithfully in the sense of that. Like I, I've learned to believe more and have more faith that I'm going to be okay.
0: Mm. That's so good. It it sounded <laughs> poetic. <laughs> I, I think
1: you give me too much credit <laughs>
0: yeah i just think that you're also i mean correct me if i'm wrong grace but i think you're you're matured in this process that you have with in terms of you know what you you know the fall kind of like with your brother and then the desensitization and then um you know burning to oh, ashes and then yeah. the redemption phase yeah, yeah, i feel yeah. like i'm so early on right now for myself personally that it's just like no it's i think it's great to, to
1: show all sides
0: talk. yeah but yeah. Um, oh
1: can i just add one last yeah, thing because it just came course. to me when you were talking it was um yeah i think for me the 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 secret that i learned to or not the secret but the thing that empowered me the most is i think when you grow up with so much injustice you know feeling shame feeling silenced feeling like you can't talk about it all these things um, for me, I felt justified in my anger. I, I, I grew up with a lot of anger. I realized because yeah. I, I didn't I couldn't vocalize what I was going through, yeah. that um, I am so it's so easy to point the finger. It's so easy to blame others because you feel so good in that anger when you do that. And I think the thing that transformed me was um, I I took responsibility for my pain it's at so one you know. point you know, like I, I realized that like, you know, I cannot keep blaming my mom. I cannot keep blaming my dad. I can't keep blaming my sister. I can't keep blaming friends that didn't show up when I needed them to. I can't blame other people. I need to take responsibility for my pain and know that I don't have to become my pain. I don't have to be the self-fulfilling prophecy of a failure. And I think once I took... Responsibility for it. It started to open up my mindset, and and I, I went from a fixed to growth mindset through that. So that that's the other encouragement I want to give people because I think when you feel like you're a prisoner in your pain, you, you feel so justified in it, and and you just it's so easy to just say I'm blameless.
0: That's so good, and I think you know, especially for our generations, we like finding scapegoats. I think whether or not it's a rational excuse, mm. it's still an excuse at the end of the day where you're putting that responsibility that you put on yourself in terms of digging through the trenches and finding the mm-hmm. answers in the hole. You're mm-hmm. throwing that to the air, right? You're doing yeah. that somewhere else. And eventually it's all going to come back to you and it's up yeah. to you to decide which path you're going what to What you're going to do with it, yeah. To, yeah. And it's you're so not going to give
1: your power away too. Cause you give your power away when you do that and, and you just succumb to the, to the pain. And that so, made me feel good.
0: It's so, it's so ironic in a poetic way of like the thing <laughs> that you thought you had yeah. control over and you felt so right. righteous in was the exact source of you exactly. not having control over. Your yeah. Life. Oh, yeah. Man. Well, I think this was good advice I think for other folks who are kind of going through what we're going through and we're in different life stages and timelines and yeah. you know, when this issue occurred. But I think it also gives, you know, some insight and some perspective to the listeners and, and to, you know, at the very least show that there is some light in all of this mm-hmm. darkness. And um, there's and, definitely hope. Yeah. And and, and and I think the main part is it's within you. I think it's within yeah. all of us to have the determination and the focus. Find the, the flame. Yes, to find the flame. and
1: uh, Fan yeah. the flames.
0: I feel like time went by so quickly, but um, saints.
1: Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, yeah of course. I'm glad we got to talk about this, Isaac. I think this is such a privilege for us to share our stories like this
0: yeah and, and and thank you as well as a guest for allowing me to you know haphazardly talk about my own personal experiences you know i was going to prepare a lot more for this but i think that i wasn't going to do myself justice because i knew i would indirectly or i guess unintentionally you know fashion it and, and finesse it into Making an, Be a, po- into a podcast, Isaac. Exactly. And so I was like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just gonna go into this unprepared, so that I don't end up doing that. And and just yeah,
1: yeah. I think you, know, you humanized it. You know, like I, I think we showed up authentically and and in, in who we are. And so I think I I give you a lot of props for talking about it.
0: Yeah. So saints, hopefully you enjoyed. You know the poetic justice that came from <laughs> shout outs to Kendrick Lamar, but also, you know, just my humility in, in coming out and, and not being perfect with my words and, you know, kind of struggling through it, but hope you guys appreciated both sides and found some value and some solace if you're going through situations like us uh, as well. So saints, uh, we're tuning out. Uh, first episode in the mental health series with gray song thanks guys Hi, saints. hey saints thanks for tuning in we'll be releasing episodes on the first three saturdays of every month see you soon